Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you, and thank you for tuning in with us. I pray that you will be blessed today, and before we are starting, I would like to welcome uh, the members of uh, our panel today. And I will start with a couple of new people who join us via Zoom from uh, far and near, and I'll start probably with Carl from a bit further. Carl, it's very good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. And it's good to be part of this program. I really appreciate that. Hey, Carl, can I just ask you to give us a bit of your background? Where are you coming from? Where are you joining us from? And just a few words, if you like. Sure. Uh, I'm from North New South Wales and in Lismore. And uh, yeah, I'm attached to one of our schools here in Lismore and, uh, uh, and really enjoying the, the Northern Rivers area. Beautiful. All right, the next uh, new person is uh, Joe, and Joe is a bit near to us here in uh, Adelaide. Uh, welcome to the program, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Now, uh, can you tell uh, us uh, where are you joining us from? Um, I'm actually down south here in McLaren Vale. Not so sunny today, a bit cool, but it's always lovely to be out here in the country. Marek, you are joining us from the hills there. I believe it's a bit cool today. Very much so. It sometimes feels like it's down to zero or even below. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and I believe we'll bring the the warmness of our uh, hearts <laughs> to thank the you. sharing. Needed. And Lydia, it's good to have you with us also joining today. Yes, I'm very glad to sit at Jesus' feet and study his holy word. Will, it's very good to have you as our facilitator for today and uh, putting together this uh, Bible study. Thank you very much for doing that, Will. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure and a privilege, Nick. And you, a welcome to you too, Nick. Thanks for uh, being the man of brains behind the whole thing. Thank you, Will. And uh, with no further comments, Will, I will just um, hand it over to you. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, panel. I discovered recently that uh, the Symphony Number no. 4 in G Major by Gustav Mahler, written in 1899, incorporates a song, Das Himmelsche Leben, The Heavenly Life. This presents a child's vision of heaven, and that this symphony was born out of an earlier work, Das Irdische Leben, The Earthly Life. The latter depicts one of heartache and struggle in a child's experience. The theme of a child looking wistfully to heaven for answers saddens me. The sad fact is that there are indeed millions of young searching hearts needing some encouraging and settling answers from those who can provide them. You know, the home circle and the school have the potential to build for eternity. We should surely all desire to make a child's life experience as wholesome and as free as possible. So in our Bible study today, let us consider together how we can make the home a safe refuge. You know, ultimately, the family security is the greatest influence in children and society as a whole. But despite all the experiences and wisdom on this panel, I think we still need to ask the Lord to give us wisdom and uh, as we approach the subject of education in the home. Marek, would you pray for us, please? Yes. A loving Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this very important topic of education and the role of family, we pray that your Spirit will inspire us, that you will provide guidance and wisdom as we look very closely at some of the principles contained in your Word, 
please direct our discussion. We pray that you will touch our hearts and also touch the hearts of uh, listeners. For this we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Merrick. Now, I reflected on what Len said at the end of our Bible study last week. To quote him, he said, education comes in different ways, sometimes through what we do wrong. (laughs) True education, that is worthwhile education, he says, is of eternal value. It is to learn how we can be saved through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I've thought about that. The mere pursuit of academic excellence, without it leading us to a connection to the divine wisdom and ultimately to a renewal of heart, is really of minimal gain. You know, I recall one respected theologian saying, some embark on a lifelong, horizonless pursuit of postgraduate study, ever learning, but never serving. Somehow I believe we should connect or reconnect to the wisdom of heaven, to the heart of God, incorporating the quest of salvation as part of our ongoing education focus. And so in saying this, let's go back right to the beginning, to the education in Eden, the Garden of Eden, instituted by God to the first family. And let's examine there some of the lessons that the book of Genesis has for us. From a Christian standpoint, a formal institutionalized system of education, we understand, uh, started with the schools of the prophets in the time of Samuel the prophet. Then, much later, schools as we know them today were established in the 16th century. But uh, what constituted the child's education in earlier biblical times, uh, Joe? Well, Will, as, as most of us would know, that the way we, the education system as we know it now, the schooling system, is a fairly recent introduction that, for the most part of history, that the child's earliest years were spent in the home. This was the basis. This was where all the education took place, and it never went any further. Occasionally, people went to, you know, higher levels to universities perhaps or colleges or trade schools. But for most, for the most part, the child's education was at home and it was limited to what their parents understood and knew. But uh, if we look back before that, it was in the home and if we go right back, right back into Eden, the very first school, if you like, um, I'll read something from a book called Education, if you don't mind. And it says the system of education established in Eden centered in the family. Adam was the son of God, as we know, mentioned in Luke 3.38. And it was from their father, that is the heavenly father, that the children of the highest received instruction. Theirs, in the truest sense, was a family school. I think that's kind of inspiring, isn't it? And you wonder, like, now what sort of things might have been taught there? And we could be sure that, you know, the wonders of creation were part of their education, part of their discussions and things to ponder about. And after sin, we know that plan of redemption would have been a, a huge part of their school as well. Certainly, but I can hear people saying, oh, we're in the 21st century. In reality, then, we're talking about a philosophy and a method of education from 6,000 years ago. So is it fair for me to ask that what was practiced in the early history of the earth could uh, at all be still relevant today? What would you think, Marek? 
I think it's very re- relevant. If anything, we need to move back towards that original model. I love the quote that Joe shared a little bit ago, and uh, continuing of that thought is precious to me. It says, The Garden of Eden was the schoolroom, nature was the lesson book, the creator himself was the instructor, and the parents of the human family were the students. Unfortunately, today's education predominantly comes from outside of the family. Parents don't have much input into the education of their children. The state government sets the curriculum. This is not an ideal situation because, as we know, particularly as we look at the uh, state curriculum, there is very little mention of the Creator. There is very little acknowledgement of the role of spirituality and God in our lives. And even though we have a choice as parents of selecting schools, I think if we appreciate what God initially intended in terms of our education, and that can only be obtained by reflecting on that original model, will we be guided and able to make good choices? And so I think considering that original model today is very relevant, it is necessary. It is probably more essential than it was in the past because we have moved so far away from that model. And yet being a God-given model, it is an ideal, an ideal that we should look to at any point in our life. Yes, I agree, Marek, that uh, if we look closely at the philosophy and the curriculum of that school that was established by God himself in Eden. It's got to lead us to conclude that that really is the ideal model for education and something which we should perpetuate in our educational philosophy today. But, you know, if you look back at Eden, even in the best circumstances, those ideal surroundings, things still went wrong. Uh, We all know that within a very short while of being part of this inspiring beginning, this inspiring environment of that perfect classroom where the Heavenly Father and the angels were the instructors, Adam and Eve witnessed a dramatic departure from the principles that were taught there. Um, What happened? Would you like to comment on what happened after they were banished from Eden, Carl? Sure. One of those very sad stories, we can really see the what the the effects of sin is and the effect of choice. And certainly something we still see right across the globe today. The just morning uh, to deal with the student where we see a similar thing, you know, because of choices. Now, recorded back there, right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 4 from verses 1 to 8, we see that uh, we have both Cain and Abel that uh, brings their offerings to the Lord. And uh, we assume that obviously they've learned about the meaning and the importance of offerings as part of their family education and how that interacts in terms of salvation, the plan of salvation. But of course, as we all know, the, the story ends very sadly. And we see that the, in the end, one of the two brothers is actually killed after that. You know, and it's I mean, so sad because they both come from the same family background. They both receive the same instructions and then something happened to one. And we see that this, you know, this shadow of sorrow that comes over these first parents as they witness a departure from the high principles of God's teaching. And I can think just how for me as a parent and for them as the first two parents, how it must be to eventually lose a son because of this. You know, Jesus tells us that some seeds fall by the wayside and some on stony ground. Some settle in fruitful ground, which are receptive hearts and to bear fruit in after years. For any parents that have to go through this really sad situation where we train them, we educate them, and yet in the end, they all have a free choice and they have to choose whether they accept it or not. But it's not easy for us as parents to accept that. Despite the best endeavours and most earnest efforts of both teachers and parents and grandparents, we all still have the choice to depart from this instruction. 
exercise our free will and sometimes choose a path that's contrary to what God intended us to do. And it's very sad. Mm. It's hard to comprehend and process. Yeah. Will, uh, just uh, you know, before you go on, I believe... Uh, A couple of things here has been said remarkably to learn from the family environment. First of all, that uh, how important it is to have a good, solid education in the family. And also, although you may do the best you can, the results are not always what you hope for. Because as was mentioned there, uh, free choice. But uh, what I believe here, and we are going to maybe dig a little bit more into this, that responsibility of Education in the family, at home, it's so, so big. And God took everything what he could to present and to to teach the result of the parents, you know, sinning. That was their choice. And just came in my mind, one name, um, he was a priest in Israel. You may remember Eli. And Eli was rebuked because he didn't teach his children in the way they should be taught. And that's just an example how important is for us all in um, in this role of educators from home in a family to, to understand this. Now, in my language, we have a saying. We usually go to school about at the age of seven, and we have that saying, if it's a naughty boy, let's say, or a naughty child, say, hey, you haven't received those seven years from home. <laughs> yes, panel. what do you think? If we realize that parents and teachers... Uh, and I include uh, Adam and Eve right here, pouring their full heart and soul into the uh, into applying life lessons for young people, their own children, or the children in their care, have to be confronted with this terrible result that they didn't anticipate or expect or even teach the child in that very direction that the child is taking. Uh, it must be a terrible letdown. And you know, um, Carl, to you as a principal of a school, I think that uh, you must have experienced through your life that you pour heart and soul into training uh, young people only to see that they have their own free will and they turn, well, they turn to what you didn't expect. Is that your experience? Uh, yes, well, absolutely. We deal with it on a regular basis where we just see, uh, and I think it's becoming It's coming more to the front at the moment. Uh, a few years ago, I had to expel an eight-year-old child for the first time, and I've never done that before in my life. And I can only relate it back to a lack of education at home. This child was totally unruly, and you know, despite all our efforts at school, I mean, got to the point we had to, for more than a month, well, almost close, close to a month and a half, I had him in my office every day, and I actually had to teach him one-on-one But his parents couldn't even rule him, and it's very hard because you have to educate the parents. And I think we go through a generation where we have young people that lacks the education, and they are now parents, and they have to teach their children, and we find that there are some huge gaps sometimes. On the other side, you have where parents, you know, have a great education for their kids, and then one goes totally wayside, and you don't understand why, and sometimes you sit and wonder, now, what have you done for this to happen? You know, is there something that we've done wrong? Is it influence from students, from somebody else, or is it the lack in my education, you know, what I've done when they were young? Uh, I think these these questions intrigue us, and I'm pretty sure that Adam and Eve have gone through the same thing. They would have trained both those boys in the same way, yet one made a different choice. And how do you deal with that? <laughs> Carol, and I, 
I, I, it's a wonderful thought that you've uh, just brought up. I've often wondered when Adam and Eve saw things go wrong, who did they blame? Yes. They probably looked at themselves and wondered, you know, to what extent did our course of action, our decisions, our choices influence how things shaped up for uh, Cain and, and Abel? You know, as parents, they must have taken their children so many times to the gates of the Garden of Eden and stood there weeping, sharing their own experiences, recounting their own life history. I am sure those boys would have asked many questions. Daddy, tell us about this. Mum, how did this happen? Why did this arise and what have you? It must have been heartbreaking for them to relive, recount some of those experiences, acknowledge their losses, but in pouring out their hearts, in sharing their experiences, life experiences with their boys, they did all that they possibly could, and yet things turned out as they did, not always totally in our control. If I just may add a comment too, yes, it is important that we do our work as parents in bringing up our children at first school uh, where values are set. And um, I think it's important that we set the right framework because it's almost guaranteed that children will choose their pathway and so they should. But you hope that if and when they do, and if it's not the right path, there's a, there's a framework there that they may find their way back, that they may look and, and reason from cause to effect and be able to say, now, where was, where did I depart and what is the way home? So that, that that gives them some, like I said, framework, but a pathway, a roadmap, a compass whereby they may be able to, with the help of others, with the Holy Spirit, be able to find their way back to God because that's the important thing. It's a guarantee that you know, we all stray from time to time, but when we have, you know, we have a, group, a family of children, it's important that take into, into account that, you know, they, someone will choose differently. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so that they will be able to find their way back to where the origin, the origin of goodness. Mm. Yeah. It's just a thought. Those words are meaningful to me, Joe, knowing that uh, you, you um, homeschooled uh, your three sons and that went on to be successful people in, uh, in, in life and uh, of course, we always have free choice, don't we? Yeah. Alija, you had something. Many of us, probably most of us, we are parents and we raised up children. And probably some of them became successful in this life, on this earth, you know, in the knowledge of this earth. And some didn't. Some were uh, missed the successful of um, um, God's path, but they gained knowledge of this earth. And um, I realize now that many times we miss things in our uh, education to our children. Um, we didn't know how to relate um, to their state of temperament, which is different from one child to another one. Their state of sensibility, emotions. We didn't know exactly what type of approach to use appropriate to every individual. And uh, we didn't know exactly how to read the cause and uh, the link with the effect of the unsuccessful children. Yeah. Maybe many times now it's too late to, to repair, but uh, we are learning from this anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's kind of interesting. When we look at the uh, different families in the Bible, can you find a perfect family? No. There's no perfect family at all. And the man who is regarded as being one of the wisest men that ever lived said, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your righteous mother. Now, here is a man, Solomon, who made so many mistakes in his own life. But yet, 
he continued to encourage his children to follow the instructions of the father and the instructions of the mother. Mm. That's all we can do. We make mistakes. We need to acknowledge them. But we pass on the wisdom of the things that we have learned in life onto our children and just plead and pray that they may follow as the Spirit leads. Mm. You know, by life example, I believe, we should be showing or demonstrating the disposition and the love of Jesus to our families. And I think that children learn from that, don't they? They may see in us things that disappoint them. Uh, They may even want to turn away, have their own will and turn away from the instruction. But deep behind it all is the realization that mom and dad did the very best for me. And and I hope that they, they think that of their school as well, that these people were intently interested in my future and in my proper training, and that there was a sincerity there, which means a lot to them through life. Nick? Yeah, I was just going to say quickly that uh, uh, if we compare in our days, in our times and uh, in the olden days, and not so far away, you know, I'm coming myself from a background um, growing up at the farm in a very beautiful place in Romania, in Transylvania. Most of the days we spend time together in the family, in the fields, working together. We're learning from each other. Now, I wonder if today... We have the same uh, environment. When parents are so busy with their life, hardly see their children, no relationship. And you wonder, even when I look in the Bible, I don't know. I mean, just saying this, maybe even I mentioned a bit earlier, Eli, maybe he was too busy with with his duties, other things. Maybe he didn't have enough uh, time or neglecting to spend that quality time in the family with the children. And I believe this is one of the downfall today. We are so busy with many other things, not having time to allocate to a good education yes. in homes. I think, I think that we'll probably have a chance to uh, expand on that. Uh, but you know the, the tremendous value of parental teaching. It makes me think of an experience of a good friend of mine that uh, he said that his mother became seriously ill from the effects of diabetes. And an ambulance was called to their home to transport her to a local hospital. On the stretcher, outside, next to the ambulance, she first asked the attendants if she could speak to her children, and they called her. They called her three boys. She addressed them one by one. She said, Bill, I want you to love Jesus. To Lib, Lib, I want you to love Jesus. And then lastly, Smuts, I want you to love Jesus. You know, those three brothers never saw their mother alive again. But they tell of the underlying instruction they received as children, the tender and loving counsel by a faithful mother that remains relevant to them to this day. All of them serve the Lord. In simple terms, it was to make God first in all their lives. And isn't this the very essence of family life and of the educational, a Christian educational system? Make God first in your life. But let's look at the early childhood years of Jesus and the early impressions on his young mind. And let's see if we can learn from this sacred history more about the wholesome potential of the influence of godly parents. Uh, We can pick up uh, from the scriptures. What can we pick up from the scriptures about Jesus' early years? Joey, you want to comment on that? Yes, thanks, Will. From scripture, Mary and Joseph were pretty poor. They were just a poor working family. They were dependent from day to day on their daily toil. There was no massive house, uh, flashy anything. They just uh, lived from a hand-to-mouth existence. We know from, I think it is a very generally accepted fact that Joseph was a carpenter Mm. and that um, Jesus would have spent many, many, many days, many hours 
sweeping up wood shavings perhaps and later helping sort wood and all sorts of things. And then there would be times when they would be help participate in picking grapes and picking olives and helping in all the things because we know in those days there were no tractors and so you know if the rains were coming they would have to go out there every man every able-bodied person was out in the field harvesting corn or wheat or whatever it might be because it had to be done at a certain time so Jesus was brought up in a if you could call a natural setting very close to the land where he experienced nature he would have gone for many walks many walks where he could commune with his father. Um, he wasn't surrounded in luxury. I mean, there would have been many palaces, any number of palaces that Jesus could have been born into, many wealthy families, educated families. And yet, you know, these were all passed by and Jesus grew up in an obscure and a despi- often despised town of Nazareth. Now, our scripture says from the, instru- from the instruction in his childhood home and connection to his heavenly father, Jesus, and I quote here, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That comes from Luke 2.52. Now, there's something for us to contemplate. Child, the child Jesus in his human form developed in character and in intellect with the same potential potential that every other child on earth has if in faith those spirit-filled opportunities are taken. Or is this too idealistic? It's something for us to contemplate. Had all this potential, um, but he was no different from any other child. And so what could become of each child? Actually, Joe, that's profound. If Jesus relinquished his divinity, as it were, or at least his knowledge, his foreknowledge and uh, his uh, all knowledge, he came into the form of a human being to be born of a baby at Nazareth and born into a simple home. Uh, in fact, people even said, uh, what good can come from Nazareth? Here is this average boy. And uh, he starts with a process, just like any one of us, a process of learning from God, being sincere, immersing himself in prayer, surrounded by simple surroundings. And, uh, and yet he grows. Lots of hard work. Lots, yes. lots of hard work. He grows to be a man of God, as it, uh, you know, I'm speaking in human terms. I, I think that every sincere parent aspires to encourage the very best potential in their own child. I read a challenging thought. Highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Godlike, godliness, godlikeness is the goal to be reached. Before the student, there is opened a path of continual progress, an object to achieve and a standard to attain that includes everything good, pure, and noble. I'd like to say that uh, there is the potential in every young person to be standout and spiritual leaders in this world. No, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful example, um, uh, Will. I, uh, as Joe has already mentioned, it's not related to wealth. It's not related to social status. Here is a mother, a young mother, a humble person, a very humble background, yet the way she shaped and helped in the development of Jesus' character is absolutely profound. Here we have a perfect model of of what character should be like. You know, I I read in the book Desire of Ages a little statement on page 68 and 69. As a child, Jesus manifested a peculiar loveliness of disposition. His willing hands were ever ready to serve others. He manifested a patience that nothing could disturb and a truthfulness that would never sacrifice integrity. In principle, firm as a rock, his life revealed the grace of unselfish courtesy. You know, if if character development is the ultimate objective of education, here we see a perfect example. And yet, who do we give much of the credit to? You know, the credit goes to a very humble, trusting, 
faithful young woman who we would say lacked the resources, but yet she was able to, to with the help of the Spirit, to produce a, a character which was so outstanding that the perfection of that character today serves as a, a, as a wonderful model for us. Yes, while we give credit to Mary, and we certainly do, we must never forget that uh, she invited the presence of the Holy Spirit into the home. And it's the Holy Spirit's presence that uh, is the dynamic thing in a child's life. Mm-hmm. It's obviously a cooperative venture between parents and God. Mm. And, and we have so many illustrations of this in the Bible. I mean, the, the, the story of, of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus is a profound story. But, you know, if we look at the story of John the Baptist... And he's very devoted parents. And we read in the scripture that the child would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his very birth. <laughs> you know, that's, that's amazing. It's a partnership with God. If we look at the story of Samson and we see how the angel appears to Samson and reveals the fact that they, he will have a child, you know, these two very poor parents then say, Lord, could you please provide us with instruction on how we should raise this child? And they pray, and in response to the prayer, God sends the angel back again to Manoah. You know, God is willing to go to any length. Gabriel approaches Mary. Gabriel approaches uh, uh, John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. You know, an angel is sent by God to Manoah to provide them instructions. God is willing to go all the way to enable parents to do what they need to do in raising children that will grow and serve to the honor of glory of God. And so here is a a phenomenal partnership. It's parents and God working together on bringing up the gift that God gives them, which is a child. Yes, what you've just said, Marek, confronts every single parental family today or parents that bring home a young child into their home after birth. We have evidence that Jesus' parents were doing their faithful part in directing his mind to the scriptures. But Lydia, could you also comment on the early education of Jesus? Yes, we all know that um, the child Jesus, he never received instructions in the synagogue schools, but his first human teacher was his mother. From her lips and from the scrolls of the prophets, he learned of heavenly things. So the very words which he himself had spoken to Moses for Israel, he was now taught at his mother's knees. So as he advanced from childhood to youth, he did not seek the schools of the rabbis. He needed not the education to be obtained from other sources. From God was his own instructor. And we know that Mary and Joseph were um, very faithful Jews. They were seeking to live in obedience to the law of Uh, and commandments of God, and they actually did faithfully what they were told. And uh, they were amazed, actually, at Jesus' knowledge and wisdom, and they realized that they had been imparted to him only by God. So also, we read a verse in John chapter 7, verse 15, when Jesus was in the temple courts and um, was teaching the Jews And they were very amazed and they asked uh, each other, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Uh, Because, you know, they realized that he never uh, had received a rabbinical uh, education. So they were thinking that in this thoughtful Galilean boy, uh, they discerned a great promise. 
um, they desire to gain him uh, as a student that he might become a teacher in Israel. And also they wanted to have charge of his education, feeling that a mind so original must be brought under their molding. But the words of Jesus have moved their hearts as they never before been moved by words from human lips. The youthful modesty and grace of Jesus disarmed uh, their pre prejudices uh, and their minds were opened to the word of God and the Holy Spirit spoke to their hearts. Wow, wonderful life. Joe. Will, it might be, it might come as a surprise to some of our listeners that um, Jesus did not come omniscient, knowing everything, mm. knowing what happened before he was born. In fact, he came as a baby, as a regular baby with a clean slate, a tabula rasa, if you like. And so his early developmental years um, were predominantly guided by his mother. Um, you know, he depended on someone to change his nappy, to feed him, to respond to his physical needs and, and later, you know, and emotional needs. And as parents, you know, we would have been asked questions, questions, simple questions like, you know, how do fish breathe underwater? You know, where did butterflies come from and where do they go when it rains or where does honey come from? And Jesus would have been full of these questions, especially as he grew up out in, in nature. He would have seen a lot of things that might have puzzled his little developing mind and he, he wouldn't have remembered that he had created the bee or the butterfly or the trees and the wonders of this creation are about him because of his own divine power. And so that in this way he was given no advantage over any other child that uh, was born today. Mm. So we might ask, well, how did he gain this knowledge? You know, how, what was informa information available at the time? We know that the books of the Torah and the prophets were available to him. So he would have learned extensively from reading scripture that was available at the time. Of course, the gospels weren't there. They weren't written yet. And of course, there was the book of nature, which we have already alluded to that was um, around him. And, um, you know, what a wonder it would have been as he stepped outside and looked at the starry sky and just just filled with wonder, just filled with wonder like every one of us looks at the night sky and the lessons that his own hand had written in the sky and the earth and the sea. Therefore, it's important that the right, the proper seeds of truth are sown. And what I mean by that is, you know, we hear a lot about fake news. There are fake seeds of truth too. But it's, you know, taking that time to sow the right, the truth seeds will not only prepare the family members for a personal relationship with Christ, but will also help to develop and strengthen those vital interpersonal relationships within that family and extended family. And this, of course, has a ripple effect, doesn't it? Because it doesn't stop there. If, if our relationships with one another in the family, parents and children, siblings, if that is right, if that is good and sound and pure, this will have a ripple effect that will affect the community. It will impact how we relate to other people and um, co-workers, anyone, neighbours and society in general. So how vital it is that the right education, not necessarily information, you know, there's no paucity of information these days, but the right sort of information of goodness and how to, how to be a good person, how to inter, how to relate to other people and how to treat others. And it comes to mind that, you know, to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Now, that's a tall order, isn't it? It's a big ask and it's a lifetime to learn. Yes. So true. Nick. Yeah, I was just going to pick up on what Joe was saying that, uh, again, that word relationship, 
how important it is, you know, on a vertical level, horizontal yes. level. And uh, you may have all the books on education in your library sitting on the shelf there. You may have all the knowledge, but if you don't have that time to impart that knowledge. I remember again when I was a child, uh, we used, as I said, do everything by hand, working at the farm. And from a parcel of land to the other one, we used to walk sometime hours in the same day. I, I, I used to say that, that every day, I think I was able to walk about 25 kilometers from one place to the other. And you know, one of those trips to me as a child looked like eternity. But with my mother on my side or my father or my brothers, talking about all the things in the nature as we pass by. And, you know, I never had a book in my hand until I went to school. But I learned so much in that period of time before I, I went to school that it remained with me for the rest of my life. Yes, yes. You know, Panel, the, the role of a mother and the father or the family uh, that we've spoken about is really profound in the life lessons of children. But... My mind goes out to the role that teachers play and siblings, uh, even as far out as grandparents and friends. I chatted to someone down the street uh, this last week, and she told me that her seven-year-old granddaughter, who is now attending a nearby Christian school, uh, had stayed over at the night for the night at her grandmother's home, and in the morning had something significant to say to her grandmother. She said, Grandma, I had a dream last night. I dreamt Jesus was coming back to us. He was in the sky. It was a nice dream. Seven-year-old. Wow, what an impression. And this little girl was eager to tell her that she loved her new school, a little Christian school. I love the songs, she said. Then her grandmother confided in me that she would not be returning to that school next year. Her parents were planning to withdraw her from the school. I asked why and in the grandmother's words, they don't want their child to attend a school where they teach about Jesus or the Bible. You know, in our study today, we've given attention to the fact that Christian parents have a moral obligation to provide a biblical model of Christ and his relationship to the church by their behavior and especially to their children. But from your experience, what happens when the very structure of the home disintegrates and children become subject to conflict, separation, dysfunction, home life falters, perhaps through substance abuse and addiction. Panel, tell me, is it possible also for parents to disproportionately leave an, a large portion of their uh, life lesson teaching and moral focus to teachers and others simply because they don't have time in their busy schedules to be the primary guide to these for these developing minds? Can we believe that fertile minds would have to be left to others outside of the home for their life teaching. What do you think? You know, it's almost on a daily basis where split families and the, the amazing impact it has on kids. And sometimes you have very interesting cases. A few weeks ago, I enrolled a young boy of five years old. He comes from a split family. He has a little stepbrother that's in our school. The father didn't want the kids anything to do with, uh, with religion. But this little boy came up to his parents and said, look, I'd like, I'd like to go to the same school as my stepbrother. And they asked him why, and he said, because I want to learn about Jesus. Mm. 
he's got a little sister and she was born blind and has all kinds of, she has a disability and so on. And simply because of what he learned from his five-year-old stepbrother has made a decision to, to learn about God and he wanted to come to our school. It was a public school. The public school teacher, when he shared, he, you know, his desire with her, she called the parents in and asked the parents to arrange for psychological support for this child for my, wanting to make such a decision. You know, when, when I relates to Matthew eighteen six, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I reckon we, each and every one of us has a huge responsibility for little ones. You know, they are so vulnerable, so they are so accepting, and I think we have a huge responsibility. And I agree with what has been said that quite often, you know, we have to leave it to the grandparents, maybe uncles and aunts, could be teachers, uh, it could be other members with, within a church or something that we have to step in and help where we see things are not going well. It's our responsibility. Mm. You know, the, the saying that it uh, takes two people to bring a child into the world, but it takes a village to raise the child, mm. really emphasizes the need that uh, these children do need the support, and parents do need the support of the broader family, the broader community. But, of course, it, it's it's the values that are brought into the relationship with that child that are so absolutely significant. And I think we we need to be very mindful what sorts of values will our children obtain from the associations, the contacts they have? What sort of values will our children obtain from the school that they attend, mm. the teachers that they that, that, that serve as a role model, the church community that they mix around with? You know, th- these are kind of very significant things that we have to be very mindful of. It's that that shapes the character. It shapes the values that the child will ultimately adopt for life. Yeah. And back to Will's question there, I believe that it, it, can be a huge risk in um, just thinking as a parent that, okay, I mean, the child is still, you know, very young, you know, um, I will leave it until he will go to school and he will have enough time to learn all the things. And you may just uh, be neglectful of uh, putting that foundation in his life from early years. I agree with you, Nick. You know, it's, it's interesting in the fact that even the government realizes that there's a, a lack at home And it could be because of so many broken homes, people too busy, as we've mentioned early on in this program, you know, that more and more of these very important aspects of what parents have to do at home is being transferred across to teachers. We have to teach them values. We have to teach them how to make friends, how to keep friends, how to relate to other people. And we already have a very crowded curriculum, but more and more of these responsibilities from parents are being transferred to teachers. And it puts teachers under huge pressure to make sure that they can actually share all these and teach all these things because, I mean, you still want to have really balanced young people to emerge at the end of a school. But it's certainly becoming harder and harder and much bigger challenge. Yes, you know, besides teachers and parents, <laughs> I, uh, I think there is somebody very significant, some people very significant out there in the wings that we don't often give credit to and um, it was it sparked up in my mind when I read what the Apostle Paul said in Second Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. You see, Timothy was affirmed by the Apostle Paul for his knowledge of the Scriptures and possibly because of his lovely Christian nature. But Paul adds something very interesting. 
uh, for our for families to look at today. And Lydia, could you read us Second uh, Timothy three verses fourteen to fifteen, please? Yes, it says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy." You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. When he he goes on uh, to explain um, the source of Timothy's education, and Lydia, perhaps you should add 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, and we can zero in on somebody out there in the wings. Okay, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, it says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother, Louise, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now, life that leaves you in you also. So we have observed here that many times the education or some words of our families, um, aunties and uncles, and especially grandparents, have an impact on children's mind mm. forever. Yes. Grandparents, you know, I, I heard a question asked on radio uh, to uh, a few young people about who the most significant person was in their life training. And uh, people have come up with uh, mother, my father, but I've heard somebody actually say the most important person in my life has been my grandmother. And it kind of uh, was a surprise to me. I even heard one uh, young person say the most significant person giving me life direction, was a teacher. And uh, that uh, illuminated in my mind the tremendous role, the importance of the role of these people on the periphery, standing outside the immediate family, how they could become the vital link in uh, pressing times Mm -hmm. in uh, the life coaching of children. Mm -hmm. And I think that the society's dependence on grandparents' care and teaching in the uh, the younger lives uh, because of social and work pressures, is especially complex today. You know, there are occasions when uh, other intended mentors fail to offer care, as Carl has indicated, and that the rescue, as it were, falls into the hands of elderly uh, family members. I, I was interested in the, um, the Institute of Family Studies, a, a document that was presented to Parliament on the changing role of grandparents in Australia. And I'd like to just quickly share uh, three short quotes with you. It says, a significant change in recent years is the increasing numbers of grandparents who are providing childcare for their grandchildren. Australian grandparents are the biggest providers of informal childcare for children between birth and 12 years, but particularly for babies and toddlers while their parents are in the workforce studying. And perhaps one more, a particularly complex and life-changing issue for grandparents is when they have to take over the care of their grandchildren. There have always been some grandparents who have brought up grandchildren because of the death of the parents, parental physical or mental illness, or abandonment. In recent years, however, it has been the increased abuse of drugs and alcohol that has swelled the numbers. You know, my heart just breaks when I read that. Yeah. But thank God for the rescue that godly parents and grandparents can. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we don't often think of influence, the influence of friends. 
they could largely de determine the lifestyle of youth and even adults today. Mm. You know, the trouble is that there are a lot of friends that are street smart and, <laughs> and the kids learn their, their life lessons from peers, both good and bad. And it's unfortunately evil in associations instill bad choices leading to indifference, irresponsibility and sad demise. Yeah. Uh, then there's the matter, and perhaps this is a can of worms, the social media, the influence of the Internet and the obsession with electronic devices. Talk about it to me. You know, when we, when we hear the statistics that an average child will spend six to eight hours interacting with social media devices a day, uh, that's, a, that's a horrific statistic. And, uh, you know, what kind of influences is a child exposed to there? Uh, most times not very desirable, not very positive influences. Um, I think that it's tragic. That pattern is truly a tragic pattern. It's a tragic influence. And we need to be sure that that is monitored, that is limited, because I don't believe there is much good that will come from much of the social media out there that helps in the development of character. Certainly, we know that it doesn't facilitate mental development, and I'm sure that it doesn't facilitate moral or spiritual development either. Mm. And uh, we need to be very, very mindful of that. Yes. Of course, we, we're not going to be so narrow as to think that everything is bad out there. But I actually, in my, presentation, my preparation for the Bible study today, wrote to uh, some young people all over the world uh, asking them about modern influences which may enhance or impede their mental and spiritual development. And I received some enlightening replies. I'd love to read you one. Jordan in Durban in South Africa writes, I was fortunate enough to have not had any technology until I was 10. And, okay, yeah, he says, the family says I am addicted to technology today, but I can still have a normal conversation. One thing I love about camping or just going somewhere where you can't get a signal because it causes me to relax and just have fun with things in nature or go to do recreational stuff, which I would not usually do. That stood out to me. One young person in Tanzania or Tanzania wrote, in today's busy world, the saying it takes a village raises, uh, to raise a child comes to mind. As you have said, Marek, mm. a parent's decision to surround their children with godly people as much as possible helps. And remember, this is a young person talking. School is a big part of that, but not all. Everyone should watch for those teachable moments in the day, perhaps while driving a car in, to school, turning the radio off to talk and to listen. Our family, this young person writes, made the early decision to eat dinner together when possible at the table with a TV off, and so weekends became important. Your response to these two young people's responses, uh, panel? Uh, just quickly on that one, Will, uh, it's uh, a lot of wisdom from the mouth of those young people because they, um, they recognize the importance of spending time together. And so many young people today, children, they are missing out on that precious time. Yeah, sorry, I just wanted to say that technology is one of those most amazing things that we can use in so many ways but in so many other ways it's one of the most devastating influences we have on young people mm. and it certainly cripples young people and kids as early as five and six they are absolutely addicted and i find that you know it's the, the busyness of life that we live in 
that it's much easier to keep children busy by just giving them a phone or giving them a tablet or something that they can use to technology to entertain them, but not really realizing what the consequences of that are. Yeah. And, and Carla, I was just quickly going to ask you, being um, uh, a teacher, you know, and um, a principal of a school, do you have children, do you have students to really be hard to fall into some rules, you know, uh, at the school because of uh, that liberty at home to do whatever they want with their gadgets and so on and so forth? That's the problem that we fight with daily, uh, Nick. As I related early on, you know, I've had a, a boy a few years ago that got confused with reality and the games that he was playing and he was sharing with us what happened the previous night in his street. And when we analyzed it and had a chat with him and his parents, realized it was because of the game that he was playing and he th- for in his mind it was reality and he came and told us what was happening. I have a boy that we can't get out of bed, that we have a problem until we realized that he was waiting until his mom was asleep and then he plays until 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. And we can't teach him anything at school because he can't stay awake. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have, we certainly, these things are, are, are a reality for us at the moment. Mm, mm. Um, it's not just, unfortunately, the young people that are addicted to social yeah. media. How do you say that? We, we, find, we find that more and more people across all generations are spending lots of time on, on their phone. And I guess in the context of today's discussion, we as parents and grandparents should show the way, if you like, by making ourselves available for conversation, trying to engage our young people um, in spending time together, doing alternate things rather than, you know, everyone sitting in the lounge, each on their own device, um, in their own little world with very little conversation apart from, you know, two, you know, two word, two, three word sentences, um, you know, very basic sort of thing. So I, I guess we could lead the way in that um, by minimizing the amount of time that we spend on our devices and it's very hard these days because everything's online um just making ourselves available for our for our children and grandchildren and um yeah having that time interacting and Mm. um sowing seeds of truth that we talked about earlier Mm. great point john yeah agree yes that sort of reflects what uh young that young person in in Tanzania, said Megan, where she, with the part that I read, our family made the early decision to eat dinner together when possible at the table with the TV off. Uh, weekends are important. Um, you know, we're not going to slam media here or social media or gadgets as such. I just think that everything has its place in life, as Marek has indicated and as Joe has indicated. I think that the overall, the overarching concept is, is that our children need to know the Lord. And I'd like to end just by saying the simplicity, yet the, prof- the profound profundity of uh, the education instituted in Eden is a lesson to, for us all for the harmonious development of character. Mm-hmm. As we try to become acquainted with our Heavenly Father through His Word, angels, I believe, will draw near. Our minds will be strengthened and our characters will be elevated and refined. We shall become more like our Savior. This should be the ultimate quest for all of life's learning uh, here on earth. For uh, soon we will graduate. We're going to graduate to the higher school, higher school above, to pursue an eternity of years, years of instruction from the Creator himself. And I can only say to you as members of the panel and to our listeners today, may we be be part of um, that 
that education throughout eternity, which the Lord wishes to institute, following Amen. what he instituted in Amen. Eden. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Carl if you wouldn't mind closing in prayer for us. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that we can call you our Father. Thank you that we can trust you with everything in our lives, and we know that you love us unconditionally. Thank you for your love and concern for us, even though we are sinners and fall short of your expectations. Thank you that you for not giving up on us, and that you are always there to protect us, to keep us safe, to guide us, and to love us. Mm. Children don't come with a manual, but our prayer today is that you will help all our parents and our grandparents and our family members, teachers, teach our children in the best possible way, help them to meet Jesus and to accept him as our saviour. You are the great teacher and it's only with your help and guidance that we can learn to be more like you so we can teach the children to follow you and build that forever friendship relationship with you. Amen. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, everyone, uh, for uh, this time together. It was a wonderful um, lesson to learn how important it is to share, to have a relationship in our families. I would uh, like to invite uh, our listeners to join us again next time uh, when we are going to look at the law as a teacher. Until then, may God richly bless you. Don't forget, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. <laughs>